Welcome to a Mental Health Film Comment. This is Brian here with you. The 1957 film Peyton Place is, some would call it a melodrama, some would call it lots of other things. It does pertain to relationships and small towns and gossip and scandal and fun stuff like that. Um, big, big mental health uh, subtext to the movie, which is why it's going to be talked about today. Uh, joining us today is author, professional counselor, and relationship coach and marriage educator, Kingsley Moyo. So over seven years working with individuals and couples, also with the Relationship Factor podcast. Um, Kingsley, thank you for um, joining us today. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, Brian, for having me. So um, this, this podcast is a commentary track format, quote unquote, and the reason for that is I want to remind you that you're not alone. I know many people listening today might feel like they're, they're alone and they might be saying back to the podcast, what do you mean I'm not alone? I'm the only one here. There's no one here with me. What I mean by that is if you have someone to go to a movie with, if you have someone to watch a movie with, then movie watching becomes a social activity. If you don't have anyone to watch a movie with, if you don't have anyone to watch the movie with, then movie watching can be a, a solitary activity, a solo activity. And so I will be here with you watching the movie with you. Kingsley will be here with you watching the movie as well. It might not be the whole movie. I'm pretty sure it will not be the whole movie because this movie is three hours long. So it won't be the whole movie, but it'll be part of the movie. And if you would like to um, listen to this podcast as a commentary, to the movie, we will be on the other side of the pause button. Uh, now, I did want to briefly mention, uh, for, for your reference, there is a crisis text line. In the U.S., you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. In the U.K., you can text SHOUT to 852 Five, eight, if you're in the UK. So in the US, 741741 home. And if you're in the UK, 85258. And that would be a shout, S H O U T. So, Kingsley, again, thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Um, so, interesting about uh, Peyton Place is th it's not an overtly mental health oriented movie, but when you dig deeper to, you know, when, when it's one of the movies where, where you dig a little deeper. And, and you see it there, it's, a, it's that kind of movie? Yes, yes, yes. The, it, it, it's, it has flavors of mental health in there. If you, somebody tells you about it, then you would know, ah, yes, I now see. It's like when you, before you bought a red car, um, you didn't used to see red cars. After you own a red car, now everybody's driving a red car. So it's exactly. that kind of movie. Exactly, exactly. And I, I'm going to stop short of saying that this is a favorite movie of mine. I do like it very, very, very much. Uh, it's not quite a favorite movie, but I, I, I can imagine it is a lot of people's favorite movie who might be listening to this. So I did want to acknowledge that. It is a Oscar winner. Uh, Lana Turner, oddly enough, who I believe has top billing. She's not in the movie for that that long she's in it maybe three or four scenes of, of a three-hour movie so 
I think that's always interesting. But in any event, I, I did want to um, to ask you as as far as it relates to uh, mental health, and, and you see some of this in you, you'll see some of this in the movie if you're if you're going if you're going to be watching the, the movie, listening to the podcast as. Um, but what what are some common relationship issues that seem to come up when when there's mental health involved? You see, that's that's a, that's a loaded question, uh, Brian, because um, no two people are alike, and um, different cultures perceive and understand and relate to mental health in so many different ways, but common among many of these cultures and by the way if we miss some of the issues that you are facing it doesn't mean that this is an exhaustive list of the things that i tend to see or come across you'll find that some of the things that happen or come across in relationship issues with context of mental health is intimacy problems um sexual issues arise just bonding finances there's arguing about money there's a uh, infidelity. People tend to feel like they're not, their needs are not being met or they don't know how to support their partner. So they end up going out seeking satisfaction somewhere else or to get their needs uh, met. Couples in general tend to drift because you get two couples or sometimes it's both individuals that have mental health and they just don't know what to do or how to navigate this. They either don't have the resources or they just don't know how to and it, it, it becomes just difficult. And so they begin to drift, drift. And before you realize it, they don't really care about each other. Communication, communication like any other relationship. And this tends to be constant fighting about the same issues over and over. And sometimes not even realizing that the common issues that they're constantly fighting about are a symptom or a result of the mental health issues that are in the relationship and sometimes the general role of family members in the relationship. So it's a variety of things that happen. And by the way, this is not only common to only mental health um, uh, individuals in relationship, you find it in any other places as well. Correct. And, and what's interesting is with what you're describing with a lot of the um, hush hush and, and whatnot and not really talking about it. That's one of the, the recurring themes of, of, of the film is the whole notion of something being scandalous. And this is a town, you know, it's, it's a fictional town, apparently based on a real town, supposedly. Uh, but that's a lot of what you're talking about, where someone may feel ashamed of something going on, or there's a lot of gossip going on a lot of yeah, wobble yeah. people say there's a lot of that running through this movie and, and you find it's interesting you mentioned that there's a lot of shame because it's common in, in mental health there's shame there's guilt there's resentment so when you're having a mental health illness it's hard enough but the stigma that tends to be associated with it and the conditions add another layer of stress both to you and the partner and sometimes it's something that we call secondary trauma, whereby one partner is going through something, experiencing something, and it's not being dealt with in healthy ways. The other partner now begins to feel it and it begins to stress them. And it just confuses and frustrates things in the relationship. And it's just difficult. True. Definitely. Now, one of the things that's really interesting with Peyton Place is for those who might be watching the 
the movie has none too subtle a wrong side of the tracks sort of a subtext as far as diff different backgrounds and, and different um, attitudes that people may bring to the table. And the, the, the secondary trauma that someone could bring into relationship, that's something that, 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 that's worth noting because if someone has a blind spot to that, if someone's not, not aware yeah. of that, that's gonna impact the, the relationship. Right, and, and that, what that causes, it, it has a, a risk of codependence and behaviors. Because the partner of a, of, a, of a person with mental health starts to derive their sense of self-worth uh, from the degree to which they are needed or how they're able to take care of their loved one. So if their loved one shuts down because they're going through an episode, they tend to feel like I'm not wanted, I'm not needed, and they become anxious. And that anxious creates a cycle whereby they begin to fight, tension begins to build up, and there is an unintentional codependency that's built in the relationship. Correct, and, and that's something that it, it, it is at a never ending cycle. It just, you know, keeps repeating yeah. and, until so there's, until one of the, until one of the people, one of the, one of the partners says, stop, you know, this cycle stops here. Right. Um, one of the, the interesting, and for a three hour movie, there's obviously a lot of characters and a lot of story to, probably more, much more than could be addressed in this, in this one episode, even if, even if it were a movie-oriented podcast, which it isn't. But the one that, one that jumped out for me was the, 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 one of the major characters is, and I want to mention Diane Varsi. This is, uh, she's playing Allison McKenzie in the movie, who's the one who wants to get out of Peyton Place because she gets so, so bummed out with all the gossip and backstabbing and lies and small town pettiness. So her, as well as the Russ Tamblin character uh, named uh, Norman. So the two of them, their relationship, what you could call of their relationship, is probably the most sympathetic characters in the movie because A, she's the, she's the point of view you get to what's going on in Peyton Place. Ah. And Norman is the one who, you can see some of, some of the effects of how he was raised because he's someone who's not, and you'll see this as the movie goes along, but you'll see, you'll see that he's not someone who's in line with a lot of the pettiness that goes on in, 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 in the town. Um, so I think that's really interesting. Um, now he is somewhat, some people would say that he is an introvert. There's probably no question about that, that the Norman character played by, um, um, you know, that, that he's an introvert, um, which, which lends itself to, to, to wondering in this time of um, COVID-19, which some, some states and some areas are at different levels of um, you know, lockdown and, and reopening and whatnot. Um, what what um, what advice would you have for someone who's got that introvert, um, you know, tendency? Either you know, actual introvert or, or you know, has that introvert side to them. What what advice would you have for them during during this time? And I, I think it's worth noting. Um, uh, rather, first, let's dispel the idea that uh, introverts need to be extroverts. Because sometimes when we tend to talk about introverts, we highlight them as if they need fixing or they need to be 
put in their place. They need to go out. They're boring or type approach yeah. or conversation. First of all, let's acknowledge that if you're an introvert, it's okay to be an introvert. Um, if the world had only extroverts, we would all just be laughing and playing and no one would be doing anything serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. So let's first of all uh, dispel that notion that everybody needs to be an extrovert. Um, and even though still, uh, I mean, um, we also need to understand that nothing, nothing is missing if you are an introvert. These are just social constructs that we have come up with to say, just like mental health. We say that if uh, you have mental health, something is wrong with you, it creates stigma. Um, you will always be like that and it's going to be perpetuated. It's going to go on for eternity. You're going to struggle. Um, you won't be able to keep a job. And we say all these things, uh, which become self-fulfilling prophecies. So if you're an introvert during this pandemic time, you might want to first of all accept that, you know what? I am okay. I don't need to be an extrovert. Yeah, I'm doing just fine. I enjoy my quality time. And also you need to try and structure your days. If you find that you tend to be an introvert and the people that were around you were extroverts and it's a little bit boring and you want a little bit of that and get away, you, want, you might want to structure your days so that you don't wander into nothingness. Mm-hmm. Give, your, give time names uh, from 9 to 10 a.m. I'm doing laundry. Mm-hmm. Uh, from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock, I'm going for a walk. So you want to be intentional about your day, about your plan. Five to seven, I'm just chilling, I'm enjoying, or maybe I'm watching Peyton Place. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. And the other important thing is to need to understand is that be self-confident. Take time to learn more about yourself. More often, we tend to think of introverts as needing to be changed or to be transformed. That's not entirely true. Get to know yourself, learn yourself, accept who you really are. Definitely. I, I, I like that because that is, that is something that in the process of doing this podcast, in, in, the, pos, in the process of you know, counseling on my own and, and therapy and whatnot, that is a learning process, learning more about myself. And, and that's a huge part of it is just just that that sense of of discovery (laughs) that's Um, true that's true very very true we never stop growing Mm -hmm. once you get to a point whereby you say i have grown and i have it made and i figured everything else ah something is wrong with you (laughs) (laughs) absolutely And, and oddly enough you're making this comment for those who might be watching the movie um, there is a scene in the movie, and this is a very, I don't want to say a very American movie, but people who are not um, residents of the U.S., there, there's a lot of, of little subtleties and nuances in the movie that people outside of the U.S. might not really appreciate. And, and this, um, the, this school scene, it's, and it's a very stereotypical one, not quite a one classroom school, but sort of in the, along the same lines. So very much a movie of its era for 1957. It's it's obviously be, be before the rock and roll era, be, you know, before the Beatles, and right. so so there's one element of, of the of the kids rebelling. You know, the whole thing about you know smoking a cigarette behind the the barn or <laughs> you know stuff like that, where it sort of is like a quaint. There's like a, an element of innocence to the movie, which may is necessary for 
the the, the scandal themes to be uh, you know to, to be explored but it is a very you know innocent worldview in a lot of ways because if it, if it were if it were not uh, the, you know the scenes like the the schools the school scene would just seem just like leave it to beaver like ozzy and harriet like us like yeah, from yeah, which yeah. is from that that era um and you had um now one thing i did want to ask you is now relationships for the, the one of the reasons why i like this movie and why a lot of people i would imagine like this movie as well is it does not present and this is 1957 and i mentioned that because 1957 I, I, that was before my time but i would imagine other movies around that time would be you know you'd have westerns you'd have musicals you'd have those are the typical movies mm -hmm. yeah and you wouldn't really have anything that would really portray like a day in the life and even rarer still, if there was a, a life in America that reflected a not so good home life. Right, and this yeah. is a movie that, that reflected that. So I can only imagine how, yeah, in a lot of ways, because for a movie that's more recent, like a 1960s movie or 1970s or 80s or up to, you know, till today, that's kind of a given. But for that era, when you had the motion picture code in, in place and, you know, stuff like that, that kind of A, dictated what you could show in a movie, but B, kind of, you know, contributed to the, um, you know, what side of movies got made. To see this sort of movie for this era is just so you know, mind blowing. It's like, this is so cool. There's, there's, there's people who are flawed, people who have their, their vulnerabilities. It's not, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, 2.5 kids and a white picket fence and, you know, dog named Fido. It's, you know, there's people with a, a you know, disturbing, you know, very disturbing background. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil some of the the, the plot for those who are watching the whole movie you'll know soon enough what I mean by that as far as very disturbing but you someone who comes from from a, a not so good background to see that reflected in a movie of this era that's got to be somewhat like assuring it's like oh I'm not alone there's someone else out there who's had a similar not so good upbringing than I did that's true that's what we tend to feel. We tend to feel like, I like your commentary in the beginning. You mentioned that you were not alone uh, in the context of the movie, as well as in the context of just mental health, because we tend to feel that I am all alone. No one knows or understands. I can't get help anywhere. And we struggle all alone. So not being alone is something that needs to be said over and over again to assure, to give that reassurance. Definitely, definitely. And that's, and that's a large part of why I sort of do like this movie and, and why I do like a lot of, um, there's a movie director from the same era, Douglas Sirk, same sort of movie where it's sort of like a, a melodrama type story where it's sort of like a soap opera vibe, but sort of a domestic drama as well, where it's uh, the, the color is it's not a black and white movie because it was made during a time when a lot of movies were still black and white. So a movie that goes color in a black and white era, you're going to show the colors. 
you're going to, you know, the ones that are really, really taking advantage of it, you're going to show the colors. And that's, that's uh, like an ethos that shows up in a Douglas Sirk movie, like I'm probably what, um, imit I want to say Imitation of Life, but I don't think that's a Douglas Sirk movie. Um, it might be, I'm drawing a blank on, on the name. <laughs> um, I'm just going off on a tangent right now. Um, but that, that, that um, tradition of movies is, is upheld really nicely by Peyton Place. It really is, and and that's a large part of why I, I do like it because it sort of it has a very individualistic message in a lot of ways. It's not something where it seems as cookie cutter as some western or a war movie or as a musical, but it seems very individualized. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, mm -hmm. um, more so that it it does not have a lot of cookie cutter type uh, characters. Um, now, now, one thing I did want to ask you about, because many people watching both, you know, because they get that assurance that it's a somewhat more realistic depiction of what life was like in the 50s for many people. But what, what would you say for, um, as far as like, like, a, a, um, like an ideal relationship, because you do not see, I don't think there's any and I do mean none, zero, <laughs> uh, model relationship in this movie. You see some, uh, you know, possible roots of it right. with the Allison character and the Norman character played by Russ Tamblin. But that's the closest you get to an ideal relationship because every other relationship depicted in the movie is characterized by a lot of you know pettiness and gossip and politics and you know small town you know minutia. Um, so 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 that said, what what would what would you say would would be how would a, a you know an ideal relationship look like? It's interesting you mentioned that in the movie there is no ideal relationship or model of a good relationship because that's also true in the real world. We often tend to ask the question, what is the ideal relationship? In other words, we are saying that we have a, a, a model or we wanna compare it to something. We have a measure of what an ideal relationship looks like. And so if that, your relationship does not look like that, then it means that it needs improvement, it needs to grow. When we do that, what we're missing is the idea that not everyone is the same. Not every relationship is the same. Just as mental health is a spectrum as well. Some people have it severe, there's mild and so forth and so forth. So it's the same with relationships. One cannot measure another relationship with another relationship, but we tend to look for certain basic things that are in a relationship or that we expect to have in a relationship yeah. and one of those things that we want to start off with the ideal relationship is where the two individuals pay attention to their emotions we live in a society that is so emotionally charged right now in order for somebody to sell you something they need to appeal to your emotions before they can get to your wallet right and that happens in the relationship too we will tend to complain that they're looking at me in a, in a weird way. And uh, somebody was looking at me funny 
Uh, so you walk into the house and the, your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend looks at you in a different way. And then you tend to conclude that, well, they were trying to say this. And that causes the whole weekend to be horrible. So in a relationship, one thing that you really need to pay attention to is your emotions, temper tantrums, what really gets you all heated up. And one thing that everybody needs to realize is that you are not responsible for the emotions of other people. No one was put on earth to make another person happy. You know, sometimes we tend to say these statements, I just want somebody who makes me happy. Yeah, and, and that, that's true. And can, can you can you repeat that again? Because I know that there are people who might be listening, you know, I mean, they might be driving or at work or whatnot, and they might not have heard it. Can you repeat that again, what you just said? Sure. Uh, uh, the part about uh, emotions? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one thing that it's crucial for us to understand is that when you are in a relationship, you need to pay attention to your emotions. And that's something that we call emotional maturity. More often when you get home or in a relationship, we do things based on emotions. We decide what we want to eat because of emotions. We decide what movie, if we're going to watch Peyton Place, if based on emotions. We decide on whom we like and going to be in a relationship based on emotions. So if you understand your emotional DNA on why you do what you do, then you begin to understand what an ideal relationship would look like. Because and you are you are not responsible for the emotions of other people and neither are you responsible are they responsible for making you happy i have the choice right now brian to have a conversation with you and you say something bad to me i have the choice of being angry or i have the choice of saying that's not true and walk away so an ideal relationship has two individuals that are aware of their emotions that understand what makes them happy, what does not make them happy. And in such a way that they can now think objectively without being affected by their own emotions. True. And, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that is something where often there is a tendency to feel as though someone's behavior is 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 directed against them when it's really goes to that emotional, um, you know, side of things right. and not necessarily directed against someone personally. Right. Somebody's behavior is not a reflection of who you are. Correct. So if you're in a relationship with somebody and they behave in abusive ways and in ways that are unhealthy, it's not a reflection of who you are. It's a reflection of who they are. They have made their choice. Right. Now, um, I did want to also ask you, there's... Obviously, in this movie, there's no shortage of, um, you know, young adults who are hating life, <laughs> to, to say the least. No shortage of that. And that's one of the, you know, recurring themes of the movie, you know, particularly why the um, Diane Varshi character, Allison, why she wants to, you know, get out of there because she, she hates it so bad. So there's no shortage of that in, in the movie. Um, so obviously, in, in, in a movie, you can, you know, understand that, that those are fictional characters but for someone who you know may be watching this maybe who may be listening to, to the podcast who um you know it, where it's not something where your troubles will go away at the end of in this case three hours but there's still stuff you're dealing with um what, what would you say for those who are um struggling with um 
with, with what's going on, whether it's depression that they have or whether it's, you know, a, a new medication they got for, for bipolar. But what, what would you say to them who, who might be going through um, a hard time right now? It's, it's true that when you're dealing with mental health, people have different experiences. But perhaps the answer that we may give here, we want to highlight to our listeners that it may or may not apply to you, but understand that we can get certain principles from here. So the number one thing that you need to be aware of in the context of relationships, if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, bipolar, or you're taking any of these medications, have a sense of awareness of how that affects your relationships. So understand what are your triggers. More often when you are going through those episodes, you have a heightened uh, reactions to common relationship issues. So you might be blowing certain things out of proportion or you may be triggered by smaller things. And sometimes it may be so that they did something big. So yeah. you want to have that awareness of how your mental health affects your relationships. You may tend to have uh, uh, emotionally fueled disagreements. Because the problem is not what's on the table. The problem is what's going on in you or the problem that's going on in somebody else. So have that awareness. Are we arguing about the dirty dishes or we're just arguing about us now? Yeah, so you want to yeah. focus and understand what exactly is it that we are really arguing? What, 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 is the, what exactly is the problem? So you want to identify and understand what the problem is and another crucial and important thing is to understand that when mental health happens or when medication is taken, withdrawal and being distant becomes normal. It becomes like a getaway to actually breathe. Uh, it becomes a way you have unresponsive behavior. And this unresponsive behavior can come via communication. You're not talking. It may come having not having a desire to go out because you're going through that episode it may come as a desire not wanting intimacy and this affects the other partner so you want to be aware of that and have a plan in place to be able to address some of these things a simple thing as talking with your partner you know what i'm having a difficult day yeah. i'm having a difficult time Please bear with me. What, what is something you would say for someone who is having some challenges where their boyfriend or girlfriend is the one with the diagnosis versus, you know, vice versa? What would you, you say for someone who's navigating through that? Someone who's navigating through this, you have to be intentional about educating yourself. Once you're in a relationship, this uh, issue does not affect you alone. It affects both of you. So in the world of therapy, there's something that we call psychoeducation. Psychoeducation means you take a holistic approach in understanding the support systems that you have, understanding the, the, the disorders, understanding everything that's around it. So if you are the one on the other side, you have to educate yourself on the actual mental health uh, challenge that you're facing in the relationship. You also need to be careful that you are not an enabler. True. Because it's easy when somebody's going through that, it's difficult. It's rough. You don't want to see them going through that. Yeah. So you end up enabling them. I, 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 I use this 
example um, with caution, with sensitivity, not to say that it's parallelly the same, but I just want to use it as an example. It's like a couple where the part one partner uses drugs and the other partner wants to get their fix and they're so upset that where's the money, where's the money, they're yelling at everyone in the house yeah. and the other partner, because they don't want to see them going through that, they end up giving them a little bit of the drugs just to calm them down so that they can relax. In their mind, they are doing it out of love. In their mind, they're doing it out of helping them out. So it may be sometimes when you're dealing with mental health and you have somebody who's going through those episodes, you may end up allowing them or yourself to derive your sense of self-worth by being there for them when they're going through all of that, by being there for them when they choose not to go and seek therapy, by being there for them when they choose to stay at home the whole week because it's difficult. In your mind, you're thinking, you know what? Let them rest. Um, I'll cook for them. I'll take care of them. But the opposite is true. We know that, for example, depression requires a lot of sunlight in order for you to get true. you out of that. True. Um, exercise and all that stuff. So by being supportive in healthy ways as a partner who doesn't have it, it's good. And the crucial thing, Brian, is people can have the mental health and still live and enjoy their relationships. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. All doom and gloom. <laughs> and okay, my goodness, what are we going to do? Yes, it's yeah. difficult. We don't all share the same mental health issues, but it's possible when you have the proper self-care. When I'm talking about self-care, Brian, I'm not talking about playing video games or eating that sugary donut. Exactly. No. When I say <laughs> self-care, going for a walk in nature, going to see a doctor, uh, going to group therapy or engaging in groups where people support each other, that is healthy self-care. And, and ideally, you know, part of me wants people to have this podcast be part of self-care to kind of be uh, a tool in, in their, uh, you know, in, in their recovery. And, um, so yeah, absolutely. All, all everything that you mentioned, and it, it, it touches in with what you had stated about having that, um, you know, th th that 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 activity for the day, even if it's um, like you said, going to that support group, even if it's going to the doctor, having that objective for the day, uh, you know, right. a goal as a game plan. for the day. Exactly to have that that game plan in order. They say those who don't plan. Uh, plan to fail. Definitely, definitely. Now, um, for those who are watching and listening at the same time, and I, and I alluded to this before before the show started, before I turned on the mic, this movie was obviously made before the rock and roll era. You know, and I say that, yeah, I say that in terms of defining it pre-Beatles, because obviously you had rock before the Beatles, you know, Buddy Holly and stuff like that. But one of the things that I just get a, get a kick out of is, the kids who are rebelling, they're listening to basically Lawrence Welk and, and big band music. So <laughs> that's one of the uh, dated aspects of the movie is that you watch this today, it's like, okay, what are the, these are these are kids listening to stuff that my grandma was listening to. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, uh, there's that humorous element, you know, through no fault of the movie, through no fault of the movie, but simply by, by virtue of the, you know, the passage of time. Um, 
So this might be the well, this might be one of the only movies in all of American cinema where you've got kids rebelling, but they're not listening to rock music wow. <laughs> because wow. rock music hadn't really been popularized yet. And I suppose they could have gone with Buddy Holly or Richie Valens or. You know, but I don't know if that was as because obviously it was before my time. So I don't know if that was as well known as it is today. But um, yeah, so there, there's a lot of you know a lot that you can appreciate as far as like the movie, and then a lot you can appreciate by by way of passage of time. And then, but yeah, it's um, now I am starting to go off on a tangent here, which is usually my my cue that we probably need need to, need to wind things down. Uh, now, as we wind things down, I do want to mention to everyone that, um, as I mentioned, you you are not alone. And I did want to mention some resources for your, your reference. There is uh, Mental Health America, which is mhanational.org. There's also National Alliance on Mental Illness, nami.org. And to Kingsley, what we were saying, I, I believe both of these groups do have resources for partners of, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they do. And now what other, do you, are there any others that, that I haven't mentioned that I, I, any others that I, that I may not have mentioned that? There is a mental health resource, um, uh, CMHA, CMHA.ca, mm -hmm. that's a Canadian one. So if you are in Canada, that's where you can get a whole lot of resources on mental health. They do have a toll-free number there if you go online. So if you're listening from Canada, uh -huh. you can go ahead and access that and you'll get information on that mental health. Uh -huh. Now, if people had additional questions for you, how can, how can people reach you if they have any additional questions? So, um, if you wanted to reach me, you can reach me through my website, relationshipfactor.org. When you go there, you can find some resources on how to build healthy relationships. I hang out a lot on Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram. Just look for a relationship factor. You will find me there, relationship factor, all one word. And follow me there. I do have a couple of pages on, on, on Facebook where it's a relationship factor all across. It's a page and a group. So on Instagram, find me relationship factor. On Facebook, relationship factor you'll find me all through there and you can connect me through with all those ways good deal good deal now um like we're going to wind it down right about now um for those who are watching um just uh, there's moments and again this is something that i'm not knocking the movie at you know because i do love paid in place but there are moments where you just shake your head at, at, at certain scenes because <laughs> you watch it by contemporary standards and again it's not the same sort of worldview today that there was when this movie was made so like i said it's not a bad movie you know quite the contrary i, I i'm really really fond of the movie but there are moments just about the movie where i could see why i could definitely see how someone discovering the movie today i could totally see how they would not like it but, um, <laughs> but in any event, um, that's, that's um, all we've got time for today. So, um, so Kingsley, I do thank you for uh, being with, here with um, us today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Brian. You take so, care. So stay safe, everyone. Um, talk with you next time. And um, stay safe, everyone. Uh, bye. Bye-bye.